what I realize is that we don't often think enough about what parents think um, or how they perceive us. This is a story about a pregnancy that doesn't end the way it should. About what happens when your baby is born too early to survive alone. It's about the parents, the babies and the doctors who save them. It's about what happens when your life doesn't turn out quite the way you expected and the untold story of what happens next. I'm Francesca Siegel. Welcome to Mothership. This podcast has been an amazing opportunity to just chat. It was such a lovely excuse to spend a cosy afternoon with my comrades from the milking shed, Vicky, Catherine and Kamisha, as we drank tea and reminisced. I wish actually we'd kept recording when we then moved to the pub and drank gin and reminisced, but anyway, never mind. Uh, Sophie Ellis-Bexter's preemie boys are 16 and 11 now, and she was kind enough to invite me round to talk about their beginnings, what it's like to go back to Nikki with your second baby... And her mum's brilliant theory that the supplemental oxygen makes preemies smarter and more creative. I really like that, so I choose not to examine that theory any further. I think it's brilliant and we should all just go with it. Um, My friend Jess told her story, not an easy one, about what it's like to care for a child in intensive care week after week and ultimately to walk out of hospital with empty arms and a broken heart. And I spoke to Zoe, who is the most empathic caregiver, not just because she's generally brilliant, but also because she has had a stillborn daughter, followed by two children of her own in special care. Inga Warren reassured us that it's never too late to work on your mothering skills, even when the children in question are 47. So I thought it was about time that we spoke to a doctor. When your baby is in hospital, the doctors become godlike. Godlike in their powers to save, godlike in their pronouncements. They are the ones driving this crazy roller coaster, or maybe actually that's the babies. But the consultant overseeing your baby's care comes in every morning on ward round. They sort of manifest from nowhere like a genie. And it's that magical, terrifying moment of the day when you can have all your questions answered by the person actually making the decisions. This is where the buck stops. And they can seem so remote and lofty that we can sometimes forget they're human too. We mothers are in the throes of the crisis of our lives, but the doctors have lives too, with good days and bad days in them. And to state the obvious, it isn't easy work that they do. My day job is writing, and if I make a mistake, what's the worst thing I can do? I can fail to produce anything sensible for a talk I'm giving, or use a word wrong maybe, or fire off a bad email. A bad day at work in neonatal intensive care, I can barely imagine. And even on a good day, it isn't always that easy to be the place the buck stops. When your baby is in intensive care, it's normal to feel angry. Anger at the world, at luck, at fate. And I'm pretty sure the doctors get a fair bit of our anger too, just for being the voice of the day's news. We've talked a lot on this podcast about what we need and what we hope for going forward. And so I wanted to hear what it was like from the other side, the highs and lows and what, if anything, a doctor wishes that we knew. Dr. Roly Bloomberg is celebrating his 20th year as a neonatologist in a central London hospital and was kind enough to come on the podcast to talk about life as a consultant on a level two neonatal intensive care ward. Hi, hello. <laughs> so we were emailing a bit about this interview and you said that one thing that you wanted to talk about was um, loss of control and regaining control. 
And I thought that was really interesting because that's exactly, um, as you said, you know, this this isn't mostly planned. Um, most of the families who find themselves in intensive care did not expect to find themselves there. And I thought that idea of loss of control was really interesting. I think that the planning of a pregnancy is very different and quite separate from the birth. And no one really thinks about what the birth will be like and some of the difficulties around birth. Um, that it's not like the magazine um, supplement about how everything goes well. Parents plan the pregnancy, birth is unknown, and so when they're faced by the reality of a um, premature birth, this is way beyond anything that they have thought about. And so there's a huge adjustment process. And I think initially that the moment of birth and that premature birth is a period where they haven't had any control over things. Um, there have been midwives around, obstetricians, helping them make decisions or hopefully not making decisions for them completely. But as soon as they regain their sense of what is going on, they want to exercise that. Um, and you spoke earlier about anger. Um, and I think that that anger is one of both finding themselves in a situation that feels um, dangerous and threatening for their baby. Um, and also because events have, have um, taken over about which they haven't had control. And so one might find parents, for example, on a neonatal unit starting to take notes of consultations with nurses and sometimes recording them. There's a gap then between the relationship of the staff and and parents and when someone has to bring that together. Do you think some of that is because um, there is a combination of a really powerful dominant narrative about how a birth should look um, and also a kind of a combined fear of frightening, a slightly patronising fear of frightening pregnant women because we don't talk that much about prematurity but actually it's reasonably common and perhaps preparation and an understanding that this might happen and this is what it would look like might mitigate some of those. I'm conscious, I, we, I spoke to um, Sophie Ellis-Bexter on a previous episode and one thing she talked about was all her pregnancy books had huge amounts of information in them and then they would say if your baby comes prematurely then none of this applies. I think that preparation is key um, and at the same time um, when one doesn't want to scare right. families and scare parents about what might go wrong, which is why when things go unexpectedly differently, it's all such a shock and it seems so difficult. So parents need time to be able to recover. I think that that, that, that asks about the um, roles of mothers on a unit and... Um, asks something about the transition that needs to take place of the nurses who are sort of many mothers um, and to be able to eventually hand over care to the real mother. There was a live experiment done in Eastern Europe in Estonia, I think, where there's a shortage of nurses. And so parents were then asked to take on the role of nursing staff, which they did very well. And those parents um, took their babies home, home sooner um, they were less ill, and there were fewer complaints. <laughs> <laughs> fewer complaints is key from where you're sitting. How much of your work is managing the sort of inevitable high feeling of the parents and balancing that against the um, 
the needs of your patient who is in fact the baby. I think that parents need to know what's happening to their babies. I think that they need to know the risks of an ill neonate without scaring them completely, but they need to be really as honest as they can um, so that the needs of the baby reach the top of the agenda. And that's lost, I think, in, in the language that is used, because parents and um, neonatal staff um, initially are talking different languages. Um, and somehow, one has to reach a medium. And parents need to ask questions, um, and they need to write down what might worry them so that they can ask about it later. I think that staff are, are, are sometimes pressured into doing things that sometimes are useful, but sometimes not. Um, so I don't think that I want to outline what a, what a perfect parent might be. But, but certainly, it always feels easier to be able to talk to a parent when, when they understand fully what is being said. But that only happens perhaps after days and perhaps even weeks. Earlier, when I was talking about perfect parents, I clearly wasn't talking about them in a pejorative way. No. Um, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Do you take work home with you? I mean, how hard is it to... Because you are... For us, this is the crisis of our lives happening beneath, you know, on the ward. But you are... like I'm, you know, I'm aware that you as doctors are living through, you know, 20 crises every day, day after day, week after week, month after month. How hard is it to switch off? I think um, staff do take babies, I mean, also parents home mm. um, with them. So one always tends to remember cases um, that have been harder um, and babies have been sicker rather than babies who have perhaps sailed through a um, neonatal unit without difficulty or without upset. Um, I think it actually can be quite difficult for that subset of, you know, sort of later premature babies who maybe spend a shorter time on the ward um, to really lay claim to how difficult they found the experience in light of kind of a, a, a great awareness that there are harder journeys. I think that the journeys parents have um, with either a premature baby or a term baby are all significant because no one really expects their baby to be ill following birth. That is a part of the um, narrative of natural birth um, and, of, and of the joy of birth and of pregnancy that is actually never discussed. There's an adjustment that needs to take place. Saying that... Um, Generally, parents manage, um, and and they will take on those issues, and they are generally very receptive, flexible, um, cooperative. I think that um, neonatal unit staff are sometimes very good at managing parents, and I think that that there are time where where perhaps the best intentions fail. Um, and Can you give an example? I think that, that a member staff might not give a mother enough time um, with their baby. Mm. They might prioritise the baby's needs above the needs of the parent. Um, um, and that varies clearly with degree of urgency. But parents might feel excluded. Um, and I think that... Um, it's interesting, though, because when you put it like that, put the baby's needs above that of the parent, I mean, presumably that is 
in fact their job and their their job is um, essentially many aspects and and part of their job is to somehow see the parent and the baby as as a unit and to be able to try and integrate that um, and that's more possible at sometimes than at others and it goes back a bit to um, what parents are actually able to do for their babies at the acute time when they are very ill um, when when the babies are very ill and also what they might be able to do for their for their children later um, and I think that parents perspective of that also changes uh, changes I think parents being present at a ward round um, should happen I think that the ideal is that that parents should be present at the nursing handover of their baby too and I think that is that is part of your um, perspective on premature births and babies in units you should be talking to nursing staff too um, and and hear what they have to say about this. How is neonatology different from peds? With a newborn baby, one's essentially wanting to get over an initial crisis of prematurity and immaturity of organs and to grow a baby into safety. I think paediatrics generally, whether it's neonates or it's older children, carries a lot more promise. And so when you ask about why did I continue to do um, paediatrics? It's probably because most children get better. What do you wish the parents on your ward knew? I think parents need to be aware that um, the process for a baby um, on a neonatal unit might not be linear, um, that there might be a couple of steps forward and a step back. That is difficult for parents who have an expectation for their baby to be able to um, get well quickly and predictably. Um, I think parents sh should ask questions. I think central to their un understanding of their babies, there needs to be a dialogue between parents and nursing and medical staff. Once parents are, are able to understand some of the difficulties and some of the hurdles and, and some of the milestones that premature babies need to um, achieve, then their hopes and their expectations will be more realistic. When you ask about mothership, um, what I realise is that we don't often think enough about what parents think um, or how they perceive us. There were some um, incidents in, in the book which were really very funny. Um, and so what is crucial is, is that um, medical staff do not talk in too much lingo, that they explain terms, um, that parents coming to a unit notice everything. And that doesn't just involve um, talking to them or managing their baby, but about managing other babies, whether one's kind or understanding or patient. Um, is seen not just within the interaction of that parent, but is observed. And so... We've got a lot of time sitting and watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so it's crucial that, that, that really, in a sense, staff on the neonatal unit need to realise that they are partially on stage. Um, and they need to think carefully about what they do and also how they do things. Um, and to be alert and aware of 
different needs of different parents. Mothership This Podcast, about stories that start before the beginning, presented by my mummy. I'm Francesca Siegel and my book, Mothership, is in bookshops now. If you want to hear even more of my voice, it's even an audiobook. Mothership the Podcast is a vintage books production presented by me, Francesca Siegel, and produced and edited by Lena Norms. Brainstorming and direction by Vicky Spencer. Music is To Clarity by Aerie. Thank you for listening, and do come over and follow me on Instagram at Francesca Siegel and Vintage Books at Vintage Books to continue the conversation. I would really love to hear from you.